0: This is The Future of Finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to The Future of Finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology.
1: Welcome back to the future of finance. I'm Bernard Matthew, and I'm really pleased to have Danny Witter join me today. Danny, welcome. Firstly, thank you for joining us. Thank
0: you very much. It's a joy to be here.
1: Pleasure. Well, Danny, you're a really interesting subject today, and I think people are gonna really enjoy this discussion. Your background reads fairly typical. You look like a a sort of career banker, lots of time in the city, very high profile jobs. And then suddenly there's this huge pivot and you go off in another direction. Tell us a little bit about your background.
0: Sure. So yes, I've done more uh, years in investment banking than I care to uh, admit. And I went disrespected in in hindsight because it was a great career. The reality is I never found it 100% soul satisfying, you know, saving a few basis points of the cost of debt of a big corporation. It's important work, but it doesn't stir the soul. So for a long time, I've been falling in love with the world of giving back and doing good. And I was lucky enough to juggle both lives for a while. At Deutsche Bank, I chaired the Charities Committee and got involved in various of the programs we sponsored, mentoring social entrepreneurs, investing in things. And I found I was getting a lot of my personal growth from that stuff. And I just decided it was time to to make that change and take all of my professional energy into making the world a better place for lack of a less fluffy uh, expression. And uh, you co-founded Work for Good. I did. It wasn't my idea, but I met Rupert. I liked the guy. I liked the idea. And it became clear that if I didn't do it, it was probably going to sit in a drawer gathering dust for a lot longer. And I just thought the idea was too good to do that.
1: And it sounds interesting. So tell us a little bit about Work for Good.
0: I guess it might help to explain, just to take you back to Rupert's sort of moment of inspiration, the light bulb moment. So what's was happening, a bit of background, he's got his eldest daughter. Um, she was born with two very rare genetic diseases, brittle bones and a defective heart. And she's just turned five now. And she's just had her 19th major operation. Wow. So you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemies, let alone, you know, somebody as nice as these people. Uh, but He was doing what many parents do after you come out of, out of the hospital and thinking, how can I give back? How can I help? All these wonderful doctors and nurses who've saved her life again. And he just thought, I, I'm too busy to spend six months getting fit enough to run another marathon and nag my friends and family to contribute to this cause I care about. You know, there must be a better way. And at that moment, he was approached by one of his clients, Unilever, as it happened, saying, could you please organize a workshop for a bunch of our senior managers? Short notice." and he would have said no because his business was really busy at the time. But he said, tell you what, I'll do it, but I'll give the 2,000 pounds you're gonna pay me for the day to the Evelina's Children's Hospital. And three really cool things happened. One, he went, wow, that was easier than running a marathon. Two, it took his relationship with a client to a much deeper values level. It was kind of really good for business from that perspective. And thirdly, his deal team, or his staff, were extra motivated for doing their day job professionally, but they also knew the proceeds of, of their graft was all going to a good cause. And that was a light bulb moment. Why don't more businesses embed charitable giving pledges into their day-to-day in ways that are both potentially a much more efficient way of raising funding rather than going off and doing something else more experiential, but also... Done the right way is really good for business too.
1: It's an amazing uh, story and very inspirational. What touched you about this? There you were, you know, ploughing your furrow in terms of the the city, and clearly something really
0: sunk home with you. Yeah, I mean, work for good. And Rupert's idea wasn't the reason I left. I'd met him before I left, but then it was after I'd left and was richer in time, that I was nagging him to let me give him a little bit of seed funding to get this thing going and. And that's the point at which I offer to actually do it myself. And I was thinking, I'll just do the six months pro bono, you know, get it off the ground as, mm. as a little project. And um, about to hit the four, four year anniversary of having incorporated work for good. Uh, and I'm still working. I'm still working pro bono. So it's, uh, it's been a longer journey than I was expecting, but it feels too powerful in its potential mm. to, to not continue to drive it forward.
1: Right, and so what's the key message? I think you, you've said that embedding the charitable giving into,
0: into corporate life, but what's the message behind this for businesses? Really depends. There's a spectrum of attitudes as to why people get involved and the kind of pure commercial end of it. The vast majority of people, increasingly people want to buy from companies or work for companies that do good, that give back. Yeah. So even purely as a selfish marketing thing, having a social narrative and embedding giving into what you do is a powerful thing to do. If you look at the stats around consumer behavior and employee behavior and attitudes, it's a very compelling commercial argument to do that. Of course, a lot of people want to do things from the heart as well. And the majority of the kind of startups who get involved with work for good very much have that dual agenda. I'm starting a business. I want it to be about more than profit. I want to do good. But I also see clear as day the commercial imperative to have that as part of my brand narrative. I was lately. going to
1: ask you about that because the, the sort of traditional thinking is organizations go out, work hard, become wealthy, and then start giving you know when when they're in a position and they've got you know excess you know needs really capital and and it's part of of a a generosity at that point in time but the sort of modern phase we're seeing of particularly millennials and just pre-millennials they're coming up with completely different values at the outset aren't they
0: yeah and i'm always inspired meeting younger generations who just really commit to this stuff very early on. I mean, I'm exactly that cliche. I did well enough and then started giving money away and started enjoying it and thinking about the importance of that. Yeah. Uh, but it was very much this thing first, then the generosity. And there are great organizations like Founders Pledge that help start-up entrepreneurs make the pledge now when it won't cost them anything because the company isn't worth that much to give away when they're successful. And that's a great model too. But the feeling is if you can give along the journey as well, that's really good for business as well as not you know, having to wait until the very end. You're kind of giving out of the business rather than giving out of how personally, if that's a distinction.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so what have you done? To, you talk about the last four years. What have you done to sort of expand this business and scale it?
0: Yeah, well, it's been a bit of an exploration as to where the concept fits. And where we're focused on is we're just starting to build momentum in the UK and we're very much focused on the small end of the SME market. Bigger companies are more complicated. They have lots of existing programs, infrastructure, CSR departments, all this kind of good stuff. Our feeling was the biggest disconnect was between the giving intent of the SME market, which is like six million businesses in the UK, and 170,000 charities. So That's where we've been focused. This week will probably hit our thousandth charity and business register on the platform, but we want to get to tens and tens of thousands of, of businesses using it.
1: Going for scale and volume is always the tough decision, isn't it? I mean, it's it's much harder to reach these six million small businesses. There's a cost associated with that. You know, as you say, you go and pick off a couple of blue chips and potentially, you know, that's a big sum of money. But to do the same thing among small businesses, you've got to really spread yourselves out. How do you do that? How do you achieve that sort of messaging?
0: In terms of marketing, we're still very much on a learning curve. We've been doing some stuff direct. Uh, word of mouth is working quite well. We were always very focused on aggregators, one to many channels. On the business side, we're so working with trade associations who are loving what we're doing. Big corporates have massive SME footprints who are telling the story on our behalf. And that you know, those conversations always going really well. And all those aggregators want to help us because they like what we're doing. It's, it's not like they charge us anything to spread the word. One of the naive mistakes I made early on is not to realize how good the charity world could be, because the charities is ultimately the beneficiaries. We're getting businesses to give through the platform and then charities to receive on the other side. And actually the charity side is really accelerating. They get approached the whole time. We haven't really talked about some of the impediments as to why we built a digital platform as an intermediary to connect business to charity. But the reality is charities get approached all the time by small businesses trying to give them money and turn them away. And the reasons, and this, sorry, this is slightly long, but it's important is there are legal and tax impediments we didn't even know about when we started this journey. And that and some other internal policy things and other considerations means that most of the big branded charities won't deal directly with a business and sign the documents that are required by law, by the Charities Act, to enable this behavior to occur unless you can get to a threshold. And it can be as high as 150,000 pounds per annum per business, wow. below which a charity will actually turn away a business, which just seems crazy to me. Yeah. Good news is we've solved all of that. So, business can go and sign up, become a work for good business member inside five minutes on the platform, and start making public pledges to give to the Red Cross, Save the Children, whoever, with no minimum amount. And they're able to kind of market those pledges in a way that obviously reflects well on their business, associates them with the charity branded stuff. And if you try to do that directly, £100,000, £150,000 a year with most big charities. So, that's the kind of boring but important, if you like, real world impediment. So the distribution, we've kind of gone off on a tangent there. But from a distribution perspective, charities are starting to throw more and more businesses our way. We met a, a lovely one recently called Plastic Oceans. I hadn't heard of them. That's a really hot topic at the moment. Mm. They get approached by 50 businesses a month who want to give them money. They aren't able to do anything about yeah, that. Wow. Okay. Uh, so it's a really crucial function that you, you play. And as you say,
1: that that's something you've learned as you've gone along.
2: Have you heard of Brain Food? It's our weekly newsletter, and it comes out every Sunday morning. It's packed with the best content that we come across on financial services and technology. It contains quotes, articles, events, and it showcases rising fintechs and people in our industry that inspire us. You can subscribe at motivepartners.com.
1: You mentioned the word platform a couple of times and here we are in the sort of fintech world. (laughs) We can't let you go on that. A little bit about the platform that you're running?
0: It's not a good analogy. We think of ourselves as just giving, but for business giving rather than individual giving, and that's an important distinction. Certainly in the UK, most giving is individual. Mm. In fact, the shocking stat is that of the 20-odd billion pounds that goes to cause each year in the UK, only a miserable 2% comes from businesses currently. So that's why we're focused on the space. We think there's a massive opportunity to create this additive channel of philanthropic funding when many other sources are drying up. Uh, And back to a question a while back, you know, we're focused on the smaller businesses, because they represent over 50% of GDP. And there's a lot of giving intent there, and it's actually not very easy for them to connect with charities. And we just think the marginal benefit of liberating that that behavior is incredible. But also, yes, we are trying to teach a new behavior, which is never easy. And we're trying to do it to notoriously hard to reach smaller businesses at scale, mm. as you said. So we have not set ourselves an easy task at all. No,
1: not at all. <laughs> but uh, it sounds like a, a very exciting one. So in terms of the sort of metrics that you use within your own business and your own thinking, what, what do you look at? Is it well, let me not suggest any who probably know them.
0: Yeah, I guess it's all about acceleration now. Mm. You know, plenty of things we need to do when we have more funding to evolve the tech and create more integrations and, and embed and make the whole giving process super easy, particularly for smaller businesses who simply don't have any resource to dedicate this and have 15 other critical priorities. So there's a lot of work we need to do there. But right now, we just want to start showing the hockey stick. Now we know who we are, what we're doing, for whom. Mm. And that's starting to come good over the last few months sort of hitting and exceeding that kind of 10% per month user sort of compound growth rate, which is our target, which is, you know, a metric investors and, and, and other partners look for to know that we are going to accelerate to scale. Mm. So that's been good news. Uh, but we also look at obviously donation volumes and various other various other things we test ourselves on.
1: Excellent. I know you do some other things as well, don't you? You're on some other boards, and I think I saw you as a trustee in a couple of organizations. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yes, of
0: course. Though for full disclosure, (laughs) I've exited three of them uh, this year. So, work for good is going to a critical phase. So, life is really, really busy. Not that it ever wasn't, but also oh, true I'm sure
1: a lot better. of uh, fintechs out uh, there would relate to that phase. Yeah. You know, you have to narrow in and focus when you get to a certain point, don't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I found I had too many responsibilities. But just very quickly, um, Shakespeare's Globe is the highest profile one. I was the honorary treasurer there for six years. I think everyone knows the story there, but I was just particularly inspired by an education project. That we used to sponsor when I was at Deutsche. And they invited me to join the board. So that was six very interesting years. But I've left I've exited that now a few months ago. Um there's a microfinance charity called the Microloan Foundation, I was also a trustee of for a while. For those who don't know, microfinance is lending small amounts of money with business training to really rurally inaccessible in the case of microloan foundation anyway, the hardest to reach, can't get anywhere near the banking system. And you give them a chance to pull themselves and their families out of poverty. Mm. I find it extraordinary that, you know, you can be on a motorbike an hour off the nearest road in the middle of a bush and you hand out cash, crinkly notes to somebody you might never find again, and you get a 99% repayment rate, yeah, because you give these guys a break and give them some belief, Mm. and they go out and they start a business and they pay the money back because they just want to be successful entrepreneurs in their own way. Yeah, So that's been amazing, but we actually merged that business with another entity to give it more uh, balance sheet stability and the ability to grow faster, Um, so I'm no longer involved in that anymore. There's also a business called Ivy House Learning, which is a fabulous business whose vision is to take leadership development from the C-suite when people are already successful and possibly a little bit broken, and actually take it right down to young high potential individuals at the beginning of their careers, to give them all the skills and knowledge to allow them to become the next generation of exceptional leaders. And The content is fabulous. And In fact, we've just rolled out, starting this week, for the first time, a digital programme that's being rolled out through the sixth forms of a bunch of schools across the UK in a pilot, and 15 of the top schools in the UK, because it's never too early to teach leadership skills. It's not something that's been done well, certainly, certainly in the UK. And the potential to have a massive impact on how the world is run feels phenomenal. That one I've also exited for practical reasons because they have a bigger team; they don't need me as the quasi finance guy anymore. But I obviously stay closely involved and very sort of proud of what they're doing. The one non-exact thing outside of the work for Good Day job is a thing called Shape History. That's a uh, sort of creative agency that works on positive social impact campaigns. And again, I met a passionate entrepreneur who just wanted to take all of his skills, but only work on things that were going to make the world a better place. Was just looking for an angel to help him get going and, and leave big agency world. And uh, that's a journey I've been very proud of as well, sort of mentoring and funding. And so it's it's a really weird and wonderfully diverse yeah, portfolio I mean, we've actually. Got yeah.
1: the charity, theatre, microfinance lending to those that need it, and starting off small businesses. Leadership, growth, and then social impact, marketing. What a diverse set. But there's a common theme there. You're obviously somebody who who looks out and looks at the world and feels it needs help. Um, yeah. What motivates you? You get up every morning. I mean, this is a lifetime of work for most people. And, and you talk about
0: doing this in the last few years. I don't know if there's a good answer to what motivates me in terms of was there some big event in my life. You often see people are passionate about charity and yeah. trying to give back something horrible's happened and that's, that's given them an appreciation. Mm. Actually, I've had an incredibly blessed life and yeah. there isn't that kind of catalyst. I think it probably comes down, and I've not thought about this very hard before, I think it probably comes down to the fact I was overpaid in banking. And so I started giving money away and I kind of enjoyed it. And that was the start of a journey that then evolved into some of the things I talked about earlier. And it feels important, it feels right, it feels needed. And at a selfish level, it makes me feel better than anything else I could do with money. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So now I'm not an overpaid banker. And so I'm giving my time and expertise and skills and actually trying to do something which will leverage up into a much bigger legacy. But yeah, that's probably the root of it. Do, do you see yourself at the sort of the
1: front, the vanguard of change like that, that you think we're going to go from this sort of extremely hard-nosed, you know, approach to work which is just purely remuneration based to, to a, a more values approach to life? Do you see yourself sort of at the front of a movement
0: or you don't recognize the movement yet? Uh, the front of is probably a little bit self-important. Um, business is a force for good. There's a huge meta trend behind that. Yeah. Individuals have been reaching to their pocket forever. Mm. As I said, it's the largest behavior in the UK. Government, obviously, but if you look at the power of business, and we may be focused on SMBs, but look at the power of, of big business in Silicon Valley and whatever else, it's mm. like starting to dwarf governments. So we are just one little tiny cog in this whole sort of movement of business being a force for good. And as I said, it's a kind of powerful win-win that it, being good is good for business at the same time. So we feel we've really got an incredibly conducive backdrop mm. You know, our current focus is just in the UK and on the millions of smaller businesses. And we are at the vanguard of that. I mean, because... I think
1: your, your message is a, is a global one, really, isn't it? I think you're, you know, talking about some of these themes, microfinance, lending to up small businesses, leadership development, you know, these are all themes that apply globally. And in fact, in some of the emerging markets are probably more relevant even than they are. But they are here where I think you're talking about, you know, 50 percent of the economy being small business here. But in some places it's 85 percent or 90 percent. Mm. Do you see a, a global spread for what you're doing or do you just recognize it's, it's happening with other people in other places?
0: Yeah, I think the concept of thinking of giving from business context rather than individual yeah. context is entirely fungible. There are some specific tax and legal sure. impediments and headaches in the UK that we've uniquely solved. But our ambitions are are much wider. We've protected the brand in the US across the EU. But we, you know, we need to run before we walk. No, walk before we run.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Depends what kind of uh, entrepreneur you are. <laughs> it has been fascinating talking to you, and uh, you know, I think it seems that you're touching on many threads that we've we've had as part of these series but I think you have also a very unique focus and, and it's fantastic to see the kind of work that you're doing a couple of of fun questions we usually mm-hmm. end up with what was the best investment you didn't make
0: ah I was reminded of this uh, a couple of days ago when Robert Mugabe died yeah I went on honeymoon to Zimbabwe and I think it was literally months before the sort of latest long period of you could argue negativity and more troubles And we're having a wonderful time and we're sitting in this five room lodge on a cliff overlooking the plains and and they were looking for like a hundred thousand pounds more investment to finish this eco lodge off. And of course you're there and everything's romantic and the cliche of going somewhere and wanting to own something. uh, And we didn't do it. But if we had done, it would have been, you know. More than a liquid asset, it would have been worthless within six months because of mm-hmm. what happened to Zimbabwe just then. Yeah. Uh, so, uh,
1: well, don't <laughs> worry. Um, as the flip side of that coin, I'm Zimbabwean and of course. Of course. so experienced some of the some of those challenges. Though, uh, I guess you know it is interesting at the end of you know because that was such a big event recently that uh, Robert Mugabe passing away. It's quite you know interesting to, to pull back and think. If he's remembered for one thing, though, it'll still be liberation. And and history seems to sort of dilute the rest of it. And we're, we're typically seen for a single action.
0: But or the, did or the most recent action. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, if the same was to happen to you and, and uh, we dilute away everything else, what would you like to be known for?
0: Being a brilliant father.
1: Fantastic. Danny, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time.